Good morning. Glad you're here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far, and we're glad you're here to start a new week with us here at Great Oaks. For those of you that are visiting, thank you for being here. Our goal at Great Oaks is to simply be followers of Jesus Christ. We would love for you to join us in that. But at the very least, we'd love to get to know you. So if you have a few minutes to hang around after services and just let us say hi and get to know you a little bit, please do that. And those of us that are here all the time, please be looking around after services are over and, and say hi to any unfamiliar faces, members or visitors, that you haven't got to meet yet. Uh, make sure you do that. Let me introduce a new family before we get going. Uh, Jesse and Shirley Matthews and Titus, would y'all stand up for just a second? Let everybody see y'all. This is the Matthews family. Just meet, recently met with our elders to let them know they'd like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. You guys can have a seat and I'll share a little bit about you. They were on our bulletin uh, two weeks ago, so you may have seen a few things about them. But Jesse and Shirley have been married for 34 years. And I told them this morning, there's several things in there I want to talk more with them about that I did not know yet in the times they've been visiting here. Uh, they've been involved in a lot of ministry and mission. And they were part of a church plant in Georgia. They worked with Navajo Indians in Arizona for a while. Shirley's taught through that whole time, been teaching for 28 years. They were telling me this morning about the parent of one of the students, one of the uh, Navajo Indian students in her class that became a Christian in their time in Arizona. So they've had a lot of really exciting experiences, and we're thrilled to have them with us here at Great Oaks. So if you haven't got to meet the Matthews family, they've been visiting with us the last few months and now part of our church family. And Titus also, he's big into computers and sports, and I look forward to getting to know him better as well. And they've got a, an adult daughter that we hope to get to know eventually also. Uh, that's sort of nearby. So meet them if you haven't had a chance to do that. And let me say before we have our prayer and start our lesson, one more time, thank you for this last week. Um, I don't think I'm weird in loving VBS week. I hope I'm not weird for that. Some of you told me I need to repent for being tricked into being grandma and dressing up like an old lady this last week. So maybe this is, this is my partial... Uh, repentance, I guess, but the things you do for VBS and kids, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of effort that's put in. So for everybody that worked so hard this last week, it's just, it's fun to me to watch. It's fun to me to watch everybody just spending time together and teaching the Bible together and meeting visitors together, uh, teaching the kids together. It's just a fun week. And so if you weren't able to be part of it, please make plans next summer to be part of our Vacation Bible School. Uh, You will be glad you did. Uh, But thank you for everybody who put effort into that. And with that being what we've done the last week, I decided this morning I wanted to talk about the church after a week of uh, spending time together with the church family. So I hope this lesson this morning will be uh, an encouraging one. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the way you bless us. Thank you for the good people you bring into our lives. And this morning, we're thankful for your church. We're thankful that in your plan, you put us all together that we can not only serve you, but serve you together. And I pray, God, that we'll always be the church family you want us to be. And in the ways we fall short, please open our eyes to it and help us to see how we can do better. God, we're thankful for Jesus Christ, who built the church and bought the church, uh, who bought our salvation. God, we pray that we'll always live our lives in commitment to Him and to you. Please be with our lesson today. Help it to be said what you want to be said, and let us be encouraged by it. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to share some things with you that you might have heard before. Um, there was a man a few years ago, only about five years ago, he lived in Elbow Lake, Minnesota. Uh, I'd never heard of Elbow Lake, Minnesota, but his name was David Gonzalez. He bought a fixer-upper home 
for $10,100. And so I guess he's one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys, but he's one of those guys that can go in and start tearing down walls and remaking houses and all that stuff. So he's tearing down one of the walls in this little $10,000 home that he's bought. And he finds it's filled with insulation, but not normal insulation. It's filled with newspapers and comic books. And one of the comic books that was in that wall is Superman number one. Now, I'm not a big comic book person. Maybe some of you are, and y'all appreciate that a lot more than I would. But I'm told that this is the holy grail of comic books, if you're into the comic book world. And you might not be able to read it, but it says June 1938 in the upper right, number one in the upper left. So he's just tearing this stuff out, and he finds Superman number one. So after wondering whether it's real or not for a while, uh, he found out this was... Indeed, that, that holy grail of comic books, it's one that had been sold in 2011, not this copy, of course, but one like it had been sold for $2.16 million in 2011. Um, this one, he was only able to sell for $175,000, uh, but definitely dwarfed the value of his home. And isn't that interesting that someone thought that that comic book, somewhere along the way, it's not worth anything. Let's just put it in the wall as insulation. And, uh, and eventually somebody found it and got $175,000 out of it. Um, another one that you may have heard about before, and it's on my same sheet of paper there, a guy who lived in Norway, 2013. He's up in his attic, and he finds a painting that looks like this. There we go. And um, I'm not a big painting person either, uh, but maybe some of you that are big into art might say, you know what, that sort of looks like Vincent Van Gogh's style of art. Apparently some people would look at that and be able to notice that. But it wasn't signed by Van Gogh, and somewhere somebody put it in his, in his attic, and so he's just you know, living in the house, and boy, it looks like some of Van Gogh's stuff. But, and so eventually, I guess his wife sort of talked him into getting it checked out. And so in 1991, they finally contacted the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam to get their opinion. What they found was... Uh, that this was indeed painted by Vincent Van Gogh. In fact, they even found a letter, had a letter, that Vincent Van Gogh wrote to his brother describing that painting that he had done. But it was one that Van Gogh wasn't real proud of, so he didn't even sign it, and he sort of put it away and it passed down around, so this guy finds it in his attic. Isn't that interesting that Van Gogh didn't even think it was worth anything, uh, people didn't think it was worth anything, and then this guy finds it... Um, in the 90s, uh, maybe a little bit before that, and has a painting worth a whole, whole lot, whatever that would be. Uh, one more to share with you. You might have heard about this. This is something that's gone around the internet over the last 10 years. It is a true story. Uh, in 2008, January 2008, there was a man who put on his, his, uh, his hat and got him a violin and went to the Washington, D.C. subway station, and he played the violin for about 45 minutes. It was rush hour. Thousands of people probably passed by him. They have this on video. They even have some pictures. Uh, only a few people stopped to even notice, and really more kids than anybody else, as their parents tried to drag him past the violin guy. Uh, only about 20 people tossed any money into his little bucket that he had there. He got about $32. Uh, he finished playing eventually. Everybody was quiet. Nobody noticed. Nobody applauded. There was no recognition. Um, put his little violin back and closed it up. What people didn't realize is that this man's name is Joshua Bell. He was one of the best violinists in the world. I'm not a 
violinist person either, but some of you might be able to recognize Joshua Bill uh, as an amazing violinist. In fact, uh, he was playing that day with a violin that was worth $3.5 million, Um, and two days before playing for those little 45 minutes in the subway, he had sold out a theater in Boston with the seats averaging $100 each. And so here he is in the subway and people just rushing by. Like, you know, who cares? This guy's got a violin, he's got his hat on. Um, Isn't that interesting that so many people didn't really think that was worth their time? During the time, the the story goes on to say he played six um, pieces by Bach, one of them, one of the most intricate, difficult ones to play. And so there's this masterpiece musician, and everybody's rushing past. I share those things to hopefully make a point. Uh, They're interesting to me. They're funny stories in a lot of ways. But one point that I think we all get out of stories like that is we don't always recognize value accurately, do we? In fact, a lot of times you may look back at your own life and see times in your life where you look back and say, you know what, there was, I had something special there, a special opportunity or a special uh, thing that was going on. I didn't even notice how good it was, how nice it was. And then maybe later I look back at it and say, that was, that was pretty special. But I didn't notice it at the time. A lot of times what we think is valuable, or what we make time to think is valuable, uh, is not always real valuable. And the things that we don't consider important, we shove in walls for insulation or rush past in the subway and don't realize there's a whole lot of value there that I never saw. That's interesting to me because of the way people often today think about the value of the church. I probably don't have to tell you But over the last couple decades, especially in our culture, the value of church in people's minds has been slowly decreasing. Now, maybe that'll change. I never want to limit God on what He can do. But that's been the trend of what our culture has been doing. Fewer and fewer people value the idea of church. And you'll hear people say all sorts of stuff. Well, they're they're all hypocrites, or they're all about money, uh, or they're corrupt. or they're, they're, they're sort of weird, and they, they do these weird things. You hear all sorts of stuff, and there may be, there's probably partial truths on all that. And in different places, you can find those things, sadly. But a lot of people go from there uh, to here. They, they have a perspective that says this, church, then, is not important. If there are hypocrites somewhere in the world, then church isn't important. If there are corrupt people somewhere in the world, then church isn't important. If, someone, if some church somewhere is all about money then church itself isn't important. And people throw away the church out of their life or push it to the margins of their life because they have decided it's really just an optional extra. It's an optional extra. You can believe in God. You can be a good person. You don't really need church. That's just what people say. Even religious people, even people who we would look at and say, You know, they've got a a strong faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of religious people say, I don't really need church with that. Well, the problem with that is that God doesn't see the church the same way. And that's what I think a lot of people today, I, I hope they'll think through more for themselves. And so let me start out with just a couple things God says about it. First of all, don't forget, when God saves us through Jesus Christ... He puts us into His church. And I don't mean that He he 
he doesn't send us a letter in the mail that says, I want you to go to the Great Oaks Church of Christ. And that's not what I'm talking about. He puts you in his church. In other words, what we're going to see a couple verses here in Scripture. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, We are baptized not only into Christ, which is true. Romans 6, verse 4, verses 3 and 4 say that. We're baptized into Christ, but we're also baptized into one body. The body of Christ. The church, as Ephesians chapter 1 calls it. And so you're not only baptized into Christ, the place of salvation, you're baptized into a people. You're baptized into a group that is connected with Christ. So when you become connected with Christ, you become connected with all the people who are connected with Christ. And so when God saves us, He puts us in His church. You also see that in Acts 2.47 where it says, uh, remember you have these 3,000 people that were baptized. It says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So he wasn't just saving people as they were being saved through Christ. He was adding them to a group, a number uh, of his church. And so let's start there. God adds us to his church. He at least thinks it's valuable enough that we need to be part of a group. Second thing to start with, when you read the Bible, you find that God expects Christians to take church responsibilities seriously. If you just read the New Testament for yourself, you're going to come across these passages, especially by Paul, but not just by Paul, but especially by Paul that will say, hey, you, you're part of this family now. You're part of this group now. You need to be doing things, not only for the Lord, but with this family that God has added you to when you became a Christian. You see that, for example, in places like Hebrews 10. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Who's the one another? Talking to Christians. We stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And as you can see, that's the English Standard uh, Version translation. It says, don't, don't neglect to meet together. Don't stop meeting together. That, that's important. That's part of it. That's a church responsibility, if you want to call it that. He says we're supposed to be encouraging each other. And it's almost like there's two opposite extremes. You can encourage each other, or you can just stop meeting together. There's something about being together. God expects us to do it. He expects us to encourage each other. A couple, are, a couple more to mention. Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Part of the law of Christ is not just live a good life for God, don't lie, don't steal, all the things, those are important too. But part of the law of Christ is what? Helping each other. Bearing one another's burdens. When you have a burden to carry, I'm supposed to be helping. When I've got a burden to carry, you're supposed to be helping. We've got to let each other know what's going on so we can do that. But, but you hear in that passage, that's part of the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 17, and 18 is interesting to me. Uh, he's starting a section about the Lord's Supper. He says, when you come together, he's upset at them because he says, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Because verse 18 says, you've got all these divisions, you've got all these problems, you're not, you're not making each other better when you come together. What I hear in that passage is we're supposed to. We're supposed to make each other better. We're supposed to come together to make each other better. And when we're not doing that right, whether it's the way we worship or the way we act toward each other, God's not happy with that. It's possible to make each other spiritually worse, even as a church family. Doesn't mean you throw out the idea of church. Doesn't mean you just say it's not important. It means we need to do it right, to the best of our ability. 
So while I may not see value in church, that doesn't mean there's not value in church. We've proven as humans time and time again, we don't always see value accurately. God can. God can look from all eternity and from high above everything and say, here's what I see value in. And God sees enough value to put us into His church and to even be disappointed when we don't carry out church responsibilities the way we should. Now, perhaps we could stop there. Perhaps we could say, okay, you know, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust that God says there's value, so there's value. But what I'd like us to do the next few minutes is just brainstorm a few things, and they all deserve a lot more than what I'm going to say this morning. I suppose better preachers would make entire series of this. Uh, But I, I just want to share briefly a brainstorm that you could add to even for yourself if you were the one making this list, of ways that the church has value for all of us. And again, I would like to think that all of us would trust if God says it has value, it has value. But let's try to walk ourselves through it a little bit this morning for a few minutes. So number one, the church has value because of its origin, because of where it came from. Don't forget, the church was not our idea. The church was not that we, a couple guys sat around one day and said, you know what, there ought to be a It ought to be like some sort of support group where Christians get together and they just sort of bounce things off each other and help each other out. That would have been great, but it wasn't our idea. This came from much bigger than us. Uh, In Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus asks the apostles who he is, and Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And in the part I've underlined there, Whose church is it? It's Christ. And who built it? Christ built it. It wasn't my idea. If I'm going to say, ah, I just don't think church is important. It's just not that big a deal. That's not what Christ thought. He's the one that built it. He's, it was His idea. Uh, in fact, He did even more than build it. He, he bought it, Acts 20, 28, with His own blood. Now, Jesus died for our sins. He died for us to be saved. We can very... In a very real way, we can say, Jesus died for me. But He not only died for me and for you, He died for the church. This idea of church, that that He would build this new people. Um, So the church is valuable because it came straight from God. And if I love God, and if I love Jesus Christ, I'm hopefully learning to love the things He loves and hate the things that He hates, to, to love good and hate evil. Hopefully that's who I'm becoming. And part of that is going to be, if he loves the church, I need to love the church. And if he cares enough to die for the church and to pour himself out for the church, then I need to be willing to pour myself out for for his church as well. It's valuable because of where it came from. And if I love him, I'm going to see value in it. It's also valuable because of its identity. Let's not forget what church is. Don't not only where it came from, but, but what is it? These are the church's people. The church is not a building. Now, sometimes in, in just the, the common way people talk, we'll say, people will say, well, I'm going up to the, the church. And what they mean by that is the building. But as you were taught in Bible school, probably like I was, uh, the church is, is people. And that's what these verses are talking about when it's talking about church. Uh, God's people are the church. And so 1 Peter 2 is one of those great descriptions of what the church is. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we're a, we're a holy nation. We're, we're God's own people when you become a Christian. Um, I think it's almost a tongue-in-cheek when it says a chosen race because, of course, the church transcends race and all races and languages and peoples are gathered into this new Christian group, church, the church of God's people. Verse 10 says, You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Bible describes it in other places as the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3. Talking about the church, not just individuals, but the church. God lives in His church. So we are people, if we're followers of Christ, we've been called to live differently. And I want to be with other people who are trying to live differently. It's not good for our faith to only hear the, the, the stuff the world says and to only be with people who are trying to live sinfully and trying to chase the stuff of the world. I need the value that comes from being together with a big group of people who are also trying to live for Christ. And that's what Christ has added us to. Um, that's what people often talk about, what, what friendship is based in. Friend, friendship is often based in there's a, there's a common mutual interest. And what's amazing about the church, we have the most important interest in common. And that's why the church can transcend all the differences that it transcends. Why it should transcend all the differences it transcends. Uh, you're going to go on vacation perhaps this summer. And if you go to, to a church worship service on vacation, I hope you will, you're going to meet people who share that same thing in common. And you probably had the experience before where you go in and you talk to people and you end up staying a long time just, just talking about life and faith and where you're from because there's this instant closeness because you share the most important thing in common. The church is valuable because of its identity. These are the people of God. The church is valuable because of its message. The message that God made us and loves us enough to save us from our sins if we'll let Him do that. And that we can be transformed in Christ to become better than we are, and changed, and have a home in heaven with Him. That's the most important message any of us can hear. And, that, and it's told in our songs, and it's told in our Bible classes, and it's told in sermons, and it's told in prayers, and it's told in conversations in the lobby and, and in, in the week. Um, this is the most important message on earth, and it's a message we need to be reminded of. Look at what the Bible says about the message of the church. That same passage in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, We're that holy nation, we're God's people. We proclaim His excellencies. He's called us out of darkness into light. We're the ones who proclaim how great He is. Ephesians 3.10 says, The wisdom of God is made known how? Through the church. People on TV aren't going to be talking about it. The, the, the voices of the world aren't going to be talking about it. It's the church's job, God's people's job. People outside of the church aren't going to be talking about it. It's our job to share the wisdom of God. Um, and one more, 1 Timothy 3.15. He describes the church of the living God as the pillar and support of the truth. The church holds up the truth. That's valuable because it's a message I need to hear. It's a message we want our next generation to hear. It's a message the world needs to hear. And it's the church's job to share it. So the church is valuable because of its message. The church is also valuable because of its worship. Hopefully we eventually grow to realize 
that not only is worship a nice thing to do and a good thing, but, but we realize it's something we need. It's something our souls need. You go a long time without worshiping God and your soul will get weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, we, are, we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit that will return to God when this life is over. And our spirit does not grow by itself, but by going before God and humbling ourselves before God and pouring out ourselves in worship to God, we are spiritually built up and we spiritually grow. But we stop that or don't do that, we spiritually shrink. And so look at, for example, in Acts 20, verse 7, the church comes together on the first day of the week and they break bread, talking about the Lord's Supper, just as we've done today. And Paul begins speaking to them. And you remember on this occasion, he, he talked all the way until midnight. But what we see here is it's a church worship service, if you want to call it that. The church comes together and they worship together. Um, that's, that's what the church does. You see it also in Colossians 3.16, that in our songs with wisdom, not only are we worshiping God, but we're teaching each other something. He says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so we're singing to each other in our songs. We're singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God in our songs. Um, God knows what we need, and God has set it up where we worship Him. And not only, and notice it, the examples are not just worship God on the first day of the week. You go to your house, worship God. I'll go to my house, worship God. Well, just the examples are the church comes together to worship. There's something special about worshiping together. And again, that makes, makes us better. When I see all of us worshiping and singing these praises to God together and singing uh, spiritual truths together, it makes me better. When I hear people praying about it, talking about it, trying to live it, uh, in their life, before, even before and after they come into worship. It makes me, makes me want to live it. There's value in the church and the church's worship. The fifth one, I've got two more of these. This one and one more. The value of the church is seen in its mission. You hear people talk a lot today and they'll say something like, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And people do all sorts of stuff to pursue that, there's that idea that there's something inside of us. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, that might be the, what Ecclesiastes 3.11 calls God putting eternity in our heart, that there's something inside of us that, that realizes there's something bigger or should be something bigger than just this life. The most important thing any of us can be part of, that, that thing bigger than us more than anything else, is the mission of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, what does He do in Matthew 4.23? He's going around, He's teaching people about about God and about how they should live for God. He's also helping people. It says he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And so that's what Jesus did. He taught, he helped people, he made that his life mission. And then he hands that mission to the church in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Disciples meaning followers. Go make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If there really is an end to this life, and experience and Scripture tells us there is, and if we really, are, have, if we really have a spiritual side of us that will stand before the throne of God and either spend eternity with God or not, 
The most important thing any of us can do is try to encourage ourselves and others to follow Jesus Christ. And that's the church's mission. And I hope we're all playing a part in that mission. I hope it's not something that we're, we're hoping other people do. I hope we're all trying to do what we can do to help further that most important mission in all the world. Is the church valuable? It's got the most important mission the world has ever seen. The mission of following Jesus Christ and encouraging other people to do the same. And the last one I've got this morning, the church's value is seen in its strength. God doesn't want us to have to go through things together. You saw or don't want us to have to go through things alone. He wants us to go through things together. You saw that in Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. He doesn't want us to go through stuff alone. He's built this family together, and it's called that in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. What an interesting description. God's household. God's family. That's what the church is supposed to be. When a family is what it should be, a family is a place of strength. A family is a place you come back to and you still find love and encouragement and people trying to point you in the right direction, uh, people who can tell you things you need to be told. All, all those things come in a, in a healthy family. And the church is supposed to be God's family. But notice also as it goes on, the other part I underlined here in verse 20, he's talking about the church. Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone of the church in whom the whole building, verse 21 says, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so Christ is the cornerstone, and the whole building is built, uh, built around Him. It's built on Him and His teachings. And it's a dwelling of God, verse 22. There is strength in the church. Christ gives strength God gives strength. God's people give strength. Satan is he's better than us. He's been doing this a long time. Uh, he, he, knows, he knows what to do to try to throw people off track. He will put stuff in our way. And if you go through it by yourself, without God's people that God wanted to put you with, your chances aren't great. He's just better. He's just better. But if we go through things together... And again, that requires us to tell each other what's going on so we can know that. What you will find is there is a strength in the church that you do not find anywhere else. God's people are there, God is there, and they hold us up, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So the church is valuable. If you say, I just don't see any value in it. I there's, a, there's a strength, if nothing else, and I hope these others are, are valuable to you also. The origin of the church is valuable. It comes from Christ. Its identity is valuable. These are the people of God. Its message is valuable. No one else is going to speak that message of the gospel besides the church. Its worship is valuable. This is where we go before God and grow in our faith. Its mission is valuable, the most important mission in all the world. And there's a strength there also. I realize we're in a fractured religious world, and we sure can't do things for everybody else. But God has put us in this place, and all we can try to do is, is try to do it right here. And try to try our best here at Great Oaks to try to say, let's show people, even in a world that doesn't think church is important, let's show people why God thinks it's important. By being what God wants it to be. And where we fall short, let's work on those things. And let's try to make them a little better. Let's not give up on the whole thing and say, well, we're just not perfect. So, no, let's, let's try to make those things better so we can be the church God wants us to be. Um, in whatever areas we fall short. 
Let's show people what it's supposed to be. And the last verse I've got before these last couple blanks here to keep in the outline is Ephesians 5. And this is what Logan read right before I got up here. And as you can tell this morning, we just we put up here a lot of verses that talk about the church. This is a good one. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ loved the church and he was willing to die for the church so that he might sanctify her. He's got a mission for the church, doesn't he? He wants the church to be even better, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. That's how God sees the church, as something glorious. Having no spot or wrinkle, that's what he wants us to be, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I hope we never forget, God loves the church. Whatever people think about it, whatever bad experiences people might have had, it doesn't change what God knows the church can and should be. I don't need to give up on it. And there's a reason. That's the reason we're here. We're here because we love God. God loves the church, and we believe that God knows what He's talking about when He says, I want my church to serve together and live together. We're trying to carry out His plan. So please... Don't be absent from God's church. Don't be too distracted to give your life as part of God's church. Don't be doing other things so much that the church becomes, God's church becomes second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, twentieth in your life. God wants us to be more than that. That's not going to happen by accident. If you haven't been serving in God's church, please talk to us. Uh, We'd love to see you do that. We'd love to We need all our talents, we need all our abilities, we need everything we have to try to make the church what God wants us to be. Um, Talk to us. We'd love to tell you about the opportunities there are to serve, the ways you can grow. Um, let's, Let's all recommit ourselves, recognizing that Jesus loves the church. Let's do what we can do to try to make the church stronger. And if that hasn't been what you've been doing, recommit yourself to that this morning. Let's all make the church everything God wants her to be. We're about to sing a song of invitation. During this song, if anyone would like to come to the front, we'll be down here ready to talk with you, ready to help you in any way we can. If you're here this morning, you're ready to become a Christian. Um, If you haven't studied that before, talk to us about that. We'd love to sit down with the Bible and and let you make your own decision, show you what Jesus taught, show you what the Bible says, and let you decide uh, the most important decision in your life to follow Jesus Christ. Here's how you do it. Maybe you've come in today and you're ready. You believe in Jesus, you're ready to make that lifelong commitment of repentance, turning your life around, and as Acts 2.38 describes it, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can be baptized today, rise to walk a new life if you're ready for that. Or if we can pray for you about anything, you can let us know about that also. If we can help you in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. Dost thou count all things for Jesus but loss? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God?